Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, today, we have the privilege of talking about the future of New York City real estate, a topic uh, I've been immersed in for the last few years and uh, how I got to know at least Sydney Blumstein, our first guest, uh, and her colleague, David Shapiro. Uh, Sydney is a second generation New York City real estate uh, broker working with the award-winning uh, Blumstein team started by her parents. She joined in 2006 and has since done over $250 million of deals. Uh, no small feat. Uh, welcome, Sydney, to, to the show. Thank you, Lisa. So nice to see you. Always. You too. Um, and David is also, I didn't even say, a native New Yorker, as Sydney is, uh, also in the real estate game for his almost his whole career before uh, he was a banker for a very brief moment or a financier. Um, he's uh, the principal at Brown & Co., which is a Brooklyn-based real estate development company. He has holdings in New Orleans, Miami, and elsewhere. He's been in the restaurant business as well for over 12 years. And both of these guys, as native New Yorkers and lovers of nightlife, have their hand in all sorts of outside, I would call extracurricular real estate projects, uh, ranging from, again, food trucks and restaurants to nightclubs, uh, both on and off the radar. So thanks, guys, for joining us to talk about the future of New York City real estate. Thanks for having us. It's here. great to be here. Um, so I think that the first question that is begged to be asked is after this horrible, no good, very bad year of COVID, uh, New York City seems to be emerging perhaps stronger than ever. That's at least my impression as a New Yorker. Um, what do you guys think the current state of New York City real estate is? I think my adjective for the current state is activated. I feel we have so much pent up demand and we got the privilege of people becoming slightly more realistic with their pricing strategies. So we've just seen more transactions happening. I think every company loves the statistics right now that we have more signed contracts in a certain month than ever before. Uh, I think it's a combination of factors. People returning to the city who realize maybe chopping wood and living in the burbs isn't for them. <laughs> and on top of that, people who felt that properties or purchasing was out of their reach for some time. And as prices took that tiny adjustment or Brooklyn became a more realistic option for them than Manhattan because of the lack of going into an office. I think we just saw an uptick in the number of transactions, which makes the market feel healthier. But again, I would say activated, not um, mind boggling or redefining the way previous markets I've been in. Thanks cool. for that. I, I would say, uh, I, I agree with Sydney. Um, I would add that I think the market feels very influenced, uh, in particular by uh, government intervention. Uh, so obviously, interest rates are are, are one thing. Um, another, for example, um, you know, many restaurants and bars, uh, different, you know, on the ground retail businesses 
who thought that they wouldn't see the light of day again. You know, they're flush with cash, government intervention, uh, PPP money, SBA loans, different kinds of grants. Um, you know, obviously crypto market, stock market, all these things are booming. Um, so I think across the spectrum, people are activated, uh, but they've got some kind of like external help uh, or motivation, you know, like in residential, it might be, you know, the parent helping them out with down payment because the stock market is high. Um, and in the commercial space, I'm seeing like key money deals again, you know, the, the tenants are not like nitpicking over the terms of leases. You know, many of the landlords now um, are giving longer and more favorable uh, terms, but the tenants are like not nitpicking over the key money, let's say. So those sort of deals are, are back on the table. Um, so yeah, I'm seeing like a lot of sort of bigger macro factors at play that are really influencing people's behaviors. Also, if people were living, sorry to interrupt you, Lisa, if people were living with maybe a partner in a studio, they yeah. absolutely hit their threshold of their ability totally. to do that. I and they're like, so yeah, they're like, I'll take a one bedroom anywhere as long as there's a door I can close. Yeah, yeah. Even, even throughout COVID, like in my apartment leasing business, um, I actually saw a lot of people upgrading. You know, I think people were like, we, we're going to kill each other at home or like we need that home <laughs> office or like, you know, uh, my cat wants to kill me and needs some privacy, <laughs> you know? Um, no, that was really a thing. Like people's dogs loved it, but the cats were like getting aggressive because they didn't have any more, uh, <laughs> enough alone, was, enough alone time. <laughs> there was a great meme about that early on. That was actually like the dog sitting on the guy's like laptop in his lap and the cat like hiding away. And yeah. When this is over, we're going to find out the dogs did it, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I really, I had people looking for apartments, like, look, my, you know, I have like a cat play thing and it needs to be in another room. Like, <laughs> so lots of people upgrading. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I know that the Times had an article uh, about a month ago on this uh, exact thing of, of people who Manhattan was out of their reach. And then, of course, rents especially came down. So let's talk about that quickly, because I mean, I'm kind of looking at, I know you both do crossover, but I know, David, you have you lean more heavily on the commercial and Sydney more on the residential, but like, are these two markets, you know, I want to get, there's so much to cover here in you know, the short time we have of the boroughs and the neighborhoods, but really the, the distinction between the residential and the commercial and the residential is both rental and, and purchase. Right. And then the commercial has so many different variables with offices versus retail, et cetera. So you guys want to try to tackle the state of those things right now and how they've changed this last year and where they're going? Sure. Um, on the residential side, I think this term I coined, I'm sure I'm not the first one who thought of it, but like subway to the suburbs, people started to think that, all right, I don't want to go to Kingston or the Catskills, but I will go to Brooklyn, especially if I don't have to go to Midtown for my office. And then when they started comparing properties Manhattan versus Brooklyn, particularly for purchase, they found the monthlies were substantially lower. And I think that does tend to shock people into reconsidering where they want to be. Um, it's actually how I've drawn lots of customers to consider Brooklyn over Manhattan. And for a brief moment in during COVID, when Manhattan prices came way down, I saw people who owned in Brooklyn now reverting back to Manhattan. It was something I know you and I talked about. Yeah. And the rental market went through sort of a similar transition. We had this beginning of COVID insanity where rents, everything in the rental world was being given away. Months free, broker fees covered, anything you could do to get somebody in the door. It was impossible to show. And then 
as recent as a month ago, we have one bedrooms going on the market, full 15% of a year's rent fee over what we were charging a year ago and they're trading in a single day. So I think the demand has come back in a way that's pushing the market back up. My only question, and I am always asking this question, is how long we can sustain this? How long will the market look like this? Because it, it does feel like a immediate reaction to this year of pause. And I think we will enjoy it, but it's certainly gonna slow down this summer and what will the fall look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, th- I think part of that is just a factor of inventory. Like last year at this time, uh, just in Williamsburg, I think there were like somewhere between 1,800 and 2,200 apartments on Street Easy. Like mm-hmm. I checked the other day, I think there were 600 now. So, I mean, do, do the math, like the amount of inventory is so low and obviously many people are coming back to the city now. So the demand is pretty high. Um, you know, the question is like, how did all the past inventory get sucked up if everyone was leaving the city? And I think that the answer is probably that we have an inventory and supply problem anyway. Um, and there really just isn't enough, not to mention that, you know, rent stabilized units really aren't coming on, online anymore because of the change in the laws. So there's really not a lot of, you know, destabilizing going on where new free market units are coming available. They're just kind of staying in the realm where they are. So, you know, again, this is, is more geared towards like the luxury markets in Williamsburg and, and Greenpoint and North Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, I, I do see that dynamic at play. Um, and as far as commercial goes, you know, I, I think the bigger issue right now is really uh, with these guys, with, with, with for tenants and operators to find staff, you know, uh, nobody wants to come back to work. So you've got really a lot of activity. The market is booming. The operators are feeling positive. They've got help from the government. They survived. They're through the worst. You know, there's an activated feeling on the street, like you said, uh, but they're really struggling with reopening their doors because they can't really get people back to work. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just a function of unemployment benefits being generous or ongoing. Um, but yeah, I, I really see that as at this moment, probably the biggest detriment. Um, and and I, I think also like the sort of mayhem that's happening on the streets, like with public drinking and stuff like that, it, it, it's presenting a bit of a challenge for nightlife reopening. Like I know in, in, in my bar, we had our, our sort of first like nighttime reopening this weekend and like the streets outside were crazy and you know, it's not our job to police the streets. Um, but it's definitely a challenge operationally. So I, I, I think that that's like on everyone's minds because they are positive, but they're facing challenges like as if it's the first day in business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have two follow-ups. I mean, just just quickly um, in terms of the commercial, I mean, there is retail, including restaurants, right? right. Which everyone was so afraid we're gonna shut down, right? But as you said, there's been a resilience. I mean, obviously a lot of people lost their livelihoods and their businesses, and it's been a tragedy that's impacted certain neighborhoods certainly more than others. Um, but of course it's coming back with a vengeance. Retail is like, you know, maybe landlords, you know, Madison Avenue shut down, but like landlords are having to reconsider um, rentals, et cetera. So businesses might be able to emerge. And then there's this question of like, are people coming back to an office? What happens in commercial, you know, if people don't come back to an office and or like you do have chaos like in the nightlife streets that isn't being policed per se by by as it shouldn't be by restaurants and bar owners. I mean, I, I think to speak to your question about like what happens if people don't go back to the office, you know, I, I don't know really how that speaks for retail. Obviously, it's not good. Um, 
I think there's a, a good chance that a lot of office space is not usable in the way that it was previously. Uh, and to me, that actually presents an opportunity for, you know, some politician, maybe the new mayor or whatever, um, to help these office buildings to rezone and maybe become multi-spaces or mixed use or residential, like to kind of streamline um, the, cha the change in use, you know, and help with the inventory and the supply pr uh, problem. Because I think people now, you know, it was happening before COVID uh, and COVID exacerbated that people want to live close to where they work <laughs> and they want to live in a neighborhood. And the city's still set up like hub and spoke, you know, I mean, now people could live in Greenpoint and work in the Navy Yard or work in, uh, you know, Industry City, and there's really no way to get there. I mean, I know the Brooklyn Queens connector is like a thing that people are talking about forever, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it presents an opportunity to really make like a smarter city where you know things are focused around the neighborhood, and you sort of buy into the neighborhood like that's your lifestyle. You live there, you work there, you walk to work, or ride your bike, and there's a bike lane, and you know there's maybe different modalities of transportation to bring you around. Um, but as far as what it means for retail, I think it just depends on how the office space gets repurposed. Because again, if now people are living there, maybe there's an opportunity for a supermarket. Whereas if it's offices, you know, you don't want to buy your groceries and put them under your desk, you know? Totally. It's interesting in Sydney. I mean, you're, you're going to crack up because of course you, I ask you this question like every, every day for a series <laughs> of months, but like, I know you don't have a crystal ball, <laughs> but I mean, on the residential side, especially, I mean, are you, you've, you've talked about like, you know, the subway to suburbs, you know, kind of mantra, but are you seeing kind of other patterns in the, in the luxury versus kind of like, you know, pre-war co-op versus condo, because New York is a very unique market, especially on the residential side. I mean, we have things that other markets don't have. So right. what, what's happening in the state of play right now and where do you think it's all going? Well, I would say the market under a million, maybe 1.5, just seem beyond activated, just seems vibrant. Like that is the market that's moving, that has traction, it has so much interest. We put a listing up, it's, it's getting wild engagement. However, at the high end, like the 15 million plus, we're seeing it be more sluggish. I do think the brokerage community has a little bit of seasonal amnesia, which we've had consistently through COVID, where traditionally the high end is not activated during the summer because those people tend to have country homes and don't tend to be shopping for property. Um, I think there hasn't been enough conversation about the expiration of all the tax abatements that were allotted to neighborhoods like Williamsburg, Greenpoint, downtown Brooklyn, financial district, midtown, which are all going to kind of come up at the same time and increase the monthlies in those areas significantly. Um, I don't think anybody wants to talk about that because that's forecasting a downturn. I'm, I'm but, seeing that now as well, by the way. Yeah, because you're just starting to see some of the expiration. You know, there's a few buildings in Williamsburg where the expiration started in 2020. Yeah. And now you went from $3 a month real estate taxes to... 400 or a thousand and it doesn't work for an investor the same way. Yep. Um, I also am a proponent that any time you want to buy real estate is a great time <laughs> because it means you have the means and the motivation and you can wait to sell it or flip it until the market meets you once again. You just have to be prepared for that to be a five or seven year horizon. And I, I really do not think New York City is a place to invest for two years. I don't think it's a flipper's market. Um, 
And some of the things that make New York unique are really expensive. <laughs> so like, for example, mansion tax is a unique thing in New York City. When they put it into place in the 80s or early 90s, a million dollars did buy you a mansion. Now I have a client buying a one bedroom on Powers Street in Manhattan Avenue. That's 1.050 and it's a mansion. <laughs> um, and you know, similarly, the co-op board process, I think might be something that continues to come under scrutiny, particularly considering whoever comes into the mayor's position in the near future, because it's a confusing gray area in the discrimination space because there's no disclosure of why someone gets turned down. And I think we've all seen it go beyond financials to include four people living in a one bedroom to be able to afford it or gifted money from a parent to a student um, or maybe someone who's just a profile that building isn't seeking. So although co-ops are less expensive to get into, I do think we'll see a re-examination of that style of ownership and the restriction on how much people can finance as we move into the future. But I still think any time is a good time to buy. I've only bought in up markets, so. I think it's great. I think it's great. And I, I've always appreciated your optimism, which is what inspired this conversation, in fact, because I don't know better people to talk about the future of New York City real estate. Um, and obviously your parents' legacy of doing this since the 70s um, yeah. is pretty phenomenal. You've learned from the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, as, as you know, I have a few other questions, but both of you have talked about the mayoral election. And as we're recording right now, we still don't know who that mayor is. Um, there are a whole bunch of other roles and responsibilities at a borough level as well as at the city level, in turn, including comptroller. Um, I know, David, we've, we've talked about it a little bit. You know, it's unclear what each of their platforms is. This was kind of like in the time of COVID, there were a lot of other questions that these guys got to focus on and perhaps candidates don't follow through on what they say anyway. But like, what, do, what is the real estate market like hoping for in, in the new kind of turn of so many important positions? What would be like the best outcome for the future of New York City real estate? That would be a change. You mean you mean for like buyers and renters or for landlords and, and developers? Because That's that, a great, great question. <laughs> I mean, from your perspective in the seat that you sit in, that would be the best for New York City real estate overall. I mean, I think, and I've been saying this for years to anyone who will listen to me, like New York does not have a real estate crisis. We have a transportation crisis. Um, you know, if the L train went across to New Jersey and you can get from Jersey to Union Square in the same time that it takes you to get from uh, Williamsburg to Union Square and people could live like in Weehawken, you know, and get to work in 15 minutes, I don't think we'd be having the same conversations. Uh, so for me, I mean, I think that that's like always the biggest topic for, for politicians is how to move people around. I mean, it's like the defining principle and characteristic of living in a city is people being mobile and flexible. Um, I think that's number one. And the second thing is to really make a, uh, a clear and fair rent stabilization law that um, is equitable to both sides, that allows landlords to be compensated for the risk that they take and the work that they do, and also provides people with a sort of stable living situation to raise their families in and, um, and to have access to affordable housing. Um, and I don't think that to date any politician ever has, at least in New York, come up with a, a plan that works for either. I, I fully appreciate that, by the way. I think those are two really, really important macro level issues that uh, I really appreciate us bringing attention to. 
Yeah, I don't work as much in the commercial space, but I've always been a fan of the vacancy tax that's been proposed on landlords. I don't know if it's as popular <laughs> to the commercial broker here, um, but I, I mean it more in regards to higher end neighborhoods where they were maybe like Soho, for example, which was founded on artsy culture accessibility. And now you have spaces trading for $100,000 a month that sit vacant for five years. We all know these like cursed spaces that it's like no matter what goes in there, they always leave because the price is so unachievable with what the neighborhood is seeking. Yeah. So I do think if you encourage landlords to create environments where up and comers, mom and pop shop subdivision was more favored, you'd be in a better environment for more of the New York City vibe and less of the banks and drugstores we've seen pop up every single place. Everywhere. One of the why I live in East Williamsburg where David and I cross over a lot is we don't really have that. There's like two banks in our neighborhood and two drugstores and both the drugstores are like old timey pharmacies. And I really like that vibe because it feels like the New York we grew up in. Yeah. No, I appreciate that because it, I mean, it's true. I mean, you look at Union Square as a perfect example. I mean, you lose, you know, four landlord, you know, key, key tenants and, and the, the neighbor and the only people who can afford that kind of rent are, are banks and drugstores and, and it changes entirely the history, the makeup, the, the, the community, frankly. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're at almost at time. So I'm going to lob uh, the last question to each of you. Um, uh, so uh, I want to, your, your thoughts, the thing that you would leave people with, New York versus the world. Traditionally speaking, New York is kind of, for all of us as New Yorkers, it is the center of the world, but it has historically been for a lot of investors, a lot of internationals, talent, et cetera. Uh, as COVID kind of we have reemerged and we're among the first in the world, which is remarkable given where we were a year ago. Um, but as we reemerge, what, what's New York's role and what's the role of real estate vis-a-vis -vis the world? I think it's a great question. I think New York is always going to be the center of the universe. As a native New Yorker, I think New York City has the street cred to hold it up. It's the only place where you can order a pizza at 3 a.m. and have it delivered and simultaneously order literally anything else to go with it. Um, I think it is the coolest place I've ever been and I've traveled all over this, the world to find something comparable. The walkability, the diversity of the humans, the transportation that exists, being able to zip all over the city for under three bucks, like what a cool thing and that it's completely unpredictable and it can feel like a small town or a big city, depending on how you approach it. But the fact that you can own a piece of it and it can be so impactful in your life story is such a cool thing. Every person I meet, if you tell them you're from New York, they say, oh, like I lived in New York for these two years in the eighties and it was life altering. I wish I had kept that apartment on Grove Street. Everybody has their tether, whether they've come for five minutes or five years. So I think if real estate speaks to you, buy yourself a little condo, pied a terre, rent it out and use it when you want to. And if it doesn't, rent yourself dope Airbnbs or stay in luxe hotels and 
go check out David's nightlife scene or my nightlife scene and make it your own. I love it. It's David? funny. It's funny you mentioned about uh, ordering a pizza at 3 a.m. because I've, I I spent most of COVID in Miami with like, I don't know, maybe 40 other New York friends of mine that were also down here. And a couple of friends like went back pretty quickly. And I have one friend in, in particular. She was just like, you cannot order food at like, <laughs> in the morning. Like this Uber Eats has like one option. I can't take this. This isn't a city. Like, get me out of here, you know? <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, it really resonates with me. Um, I would say like, I, I agree, New York is still and will always be the capital of the world uh, and the real estate world. Um, but I think one of the things that came out of COVID was uh, New Yorkers kind of spreading their wings or uh, branching out and making connections in other places, uh, whether it's upstate or in Miami or California or even in Mexico or different places. So I, I think that um, this sort of New York, like sister city vibe somewhere else uh, mentality has really grown and people have new connections to other places and maybe a new appreciation for different ways of life. Um, and I think that that can only benefit the city. And I think also can bring some kind of balance to people's lives. And you know, New York is an amazing, wonderful capital of the world, but people also sometimes need an outlet. Um, and I think that COVID helped some fortunate people to, to get that. And um, I'm personally curious to see what kind of new lifestyles and projects could come out of that. I, I'm going to call it the New York diaspora because it, it definitely, to Sydney and your two points blend really well into my perception of New York and my own personal experience of New York as well as a, a boomerang and, and, and now just outside. I think that the reality, of course, is that you have, if you've been there for two minutes or if you've been there for two years, if it's touched you, you always feel like a New Yorker. And so it's always home somehow. And this thing, David, that you're talking about, where like New Yorkers spreading their wings and then new wannabe New Yorkers coming in and getting to become that, it can only, it can only strengthen the, the future of New York City real estate. So true. So thank you both so much for joining us today on this uh, awesome conversation. Uh, Sydney knows and David's learning that I could talk about <laughs> it for, forever. We can do it again. Uh, um, and uh, for everyone uh, watching Future of XYZ, please make sure that uh, you subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Future of XYZ, Future of XYZ on Instagram. Uh, and make sure that you link up with these guys as well uh, for all your real estate needs in New York City as, as the world continues to reopen. Thank you so much, Lisa. Nice to see you, David. Yeah, you thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Thank both. You. Talk to you very soon. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Wow. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.